This evening's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 to 4. That can be found on page 1025 on the Bibles in front of your chair. So that's the Gospel of Luke, and we're reading from chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, thank you, Lottie, and please do keep that passage open as we will look at this evening. As some of you uh, may know, my wife Stephanie comes from New York, and one of the great blessings, many blessings, of having a wife. From, or having a wife, having a wife from New York, is the opportunity to visit this magical city at Christmas time. And one year, when I was visiting, before we were married, Stephanie very sweetly bought us some tickets to go ice, ice skating at the famous ice rink at the bottom of the iconic Rockefeller Center. And you can imagine or see the romantic scene, the huge 75-foot-tall Christmas tree decked out in sparkling lights and the golden angels, crowds of people wrapped up warm in hats and scarves, enjoying the festive atmosphere. There was only one problem. Me. My utter lack of physical coordination and general ineptitude at all things vaguely sporty. Despite Stephanie's best efforts, from the moment I stepped on the ice, I was slipping and sliding all over the place and ended up spending most of the evening like this, clinging to the edge in fear and trembling, with Stephanie in vain trying to coax me back onto the ice. As we begin a new year, I wonder how many of us can feel similarly about our faith, whether faith is something we're still exploring or something we would say we've had for decades, struggling to stay upright, slipping and sliding all over the place, generally having a lack of confidence in our faith, the lack of confidence that the things we believe to be true really are true. It might be the pressure of the culture around us that encourages us to place our confidence firmly in that which can be seen and touched and leaves no room for God. A culture that, through best-selling books such as Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, suggests that faith in God is ridiculous. Maybe we're sometimes tempted to think is all this stuff ridiculous? Am I deluded? This works itself out on a day-by-day level as well. Let's say you're having lunch with your colleagues in the office when they start talking about someone who isn't there, laughing about them, gossiping about them behind their back. And we're forced to decide, will we place our confidence in the gospel, in God, and, and living as his children make the difficult decision to stand up for that person? who's being so cruelly treated behind their back. 
Or will we join in the conversation because it feels safer to fit in with the crowd, safer to place our confidence in our immediate surroundings? Or maybe the next few months ahead are looking really uncertain for you. You have a choice between putting your confidence in, in the God who is sovereign and good, who, believe, who we believe works in all things for the good of those who love him. Or do we give way to worry and doubt, not really confident that God will watch over us? What are the ways in which we feel a lack of confidence in the gospel? As Steve said, we're beginning a new series today in Luke's Gospel, and Luke tells us in these opening verses that he is writing his Gospel specifically for a man named Theophilus, a man who also seems to have struggled a lot with confidence in the Christian faith. Luke writes, if you look down with me at verse 4, he writes this book for Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. There's been lots of speculation as to who this Theophilus might have been. His name literally means lover of God. And so some have suggested it's not the name of a real person, but stands for any person who loves God and wants to know him more. But that title, Theophilus, is given in verse 3. Luke addresses him there as most excellent. That was a title commonly used for significant people, a bit like your excellency or your royal highness today. And so it seems Theophilus is a real person, a man of some social standing, Perhaps someone has commissioned Luke to write this gospel and its sequel, the Book of Acts. And this Theophilus seems to have received some instruction in the Christian faith. Luke suggests he's been taught some things about Christianity. Um, He's received some basic instruction, but he's still quite young in his faith. And Luke writes that he might have certainty in the things he has been taught. And wherever we are in the Christian journey, That is something I think we will all struggle with at different times and in different ways. The word there for certainty, as we come back to my opening story, literally means not slipping. It has a sense of standing firmly upright, not slipping and sliding like me on the ice, but secure and stable, confident in the things we have been taught. Luke writes this gospel for Theophilus and for us so that we might have confidence in the things that we believe, so that we don't slip and slide under the pressures of daily life. And it's my prayer as we read through Luke's gospel over the coming weeks and months that Luke's purpose will be achieved, that wherever we are on our Christian journey, we will grow in confidence, become more firmly rooted in our faith, as we read through afresh the story of the gospel. But as we look at these opening verses with which Luke introduces his gospel, I want us to see two things he reminds us about this gospel, about the Christian faith, that will help to give us confidence in our faith. You'll see this on the um, service sheets if you have them. Luke wants us to have confidence in the historical reliability of the gospel and confidence in the ongoing, life-changing relevance of the gospel. So first of all, then, Luke wants us to have confidence in the historical reliability of the gospel. Luke states that the Christian faith is firmly rooted in historical events for which there is strong 
reliable evidence. You may remember the survey done a few years ago that found that over 40% of people in England did not even think that Jesus was a real person, let alone that any of the stories told about him in the New Testament really happened. Many people, it seems, think the New Testament is just another collection of myths and fables uh, about a legendary man called Jesus, a bit like the stories of King Arthur or Robin Hood. To believe them to be true is to have the sort of faith, that sort of blind faith, that the best-selling writer Richard Dawkins um, has said uh, Christians have. He said that um, faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, a lack of evidence. But Luke wants to say, no, actually there is very good historical evidence for this gospel story, for the story of Jesus. Christian faith does not have to be a leap into the dark. When I asked Stephanie to marry me, that was a decision of faith, but it was not a decision I made without any evidence, without any knowledge of her. I spent many years getting to know her. I came to feel that it was a pretty good decision to make. Well, likewise, putting your faith in Jesus Christ does not need to be a decision made without any evidence. And in these few verses, Luke points to three pieces of evidence to support the historical reliability of uh, the story he's about to tell. First of all, Luke refers to the existence of many other written accounts of these events. If you look down at verse 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, many scholars uh, date Luke's two books to the 60s AD, and the principal reason for this is simply because Luke ends the book of Acts uh, in a rather abrupt position. Luke is in, uh, Paul is in prison in Rome, and the most obvious reason for why he doesn't say what happens next, most notably Paul's um, execution in Rome a few years later, um, is simply because that was where the story had got up to when Luke was writing. He was just bringing the story up to date. So if Jesus died in around 30 AD, that means there's just about 30 years between when Luke uh, was writing and the story, he's um, the actual events that he's writing about. But even in that fairly short time, Luke tells us that already there are many other written accounts circulating. We don't have decades and decades passing by with the story of Jesus being passed on purely by word of mouth. But we have many people from a very early stage, committing it to writing. And these accounts, Luke was able to make use of in his own written version. So there are many written accounts Luke could draw on. Secondly, there were still eyewitnesses around that he could interview. If you look at verse 2, just as they, that's the historical accounts, were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke says that the story he's going to tell is based ultimately on the testimony of eyewitnesses, of people who were there and who saw the events as they unfolded. One strong indication of this, to my mind, is is how poorly the disciples get represented in all four of the Gospels. They, they frequently are shown to be misunderstanding Jesus, getting it wrong, arguing among themselves, 
and often just looking ridiculous. And it seems hard to imagine that the early leaders of the church would have created stories that reflected so badly on themselves. It seems much more likely that they were telling the story as it actually happened. They were faithful servants of the word, as Luke says, dutifully passing on the message rather than adapting it to make themselves look better. Thirdly and finally, Luke is, is Luke's own work as a historian. And he says in verse 3 that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He carefully investigated everything. He was keen to write something that was a reliable record of the historical events. We all know that there are um, honorable, shall we say, and dishonorable journalists, those who write sensational Uh, stories with attention-grabbing headlines, and those who carefully and methodically research the facts of the case to get at the truth. Luke is saying that he's a journalist of that latter school. He has set up interviews with the key eyewitnesses. He's carefully read through earlier reports and accounts, and then he has carefully sifted through all the material drawing together those bits which he feels are the most important, and writing up his findings in a structured, ordered account. There's much more that could be said on the historical reliability of the New Testament. Um, I myself came to faith as an undergraduate doing a degree in classics in ancient history, and my serious exploration of faith began uh, when I was confronted with the reality that the texts of the New Testament were no different from other historical books and letters um, of the ancient world and had the same grounds for being taken seriously as reliable historical records. Tom Wright, the theologian and former Bishop of Durham, said in his uh, mammoth book, Evaluating the Evidence for the Most Outlandish Claim Christians Make, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Dead, he said this, Um, I regard this conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead as coming in the same sort of category of historical probability so high as to be virtually certain as the death of Augustus in AD 14 or the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus should be treated as a basic historical fact like the Battle of Hastings in 1066 or the death of Queen Victoria in 1901. These things are, in any way, new to you. I do encourage you to take the time to assess the evidence, to get to know uh, Jesus and the story um, of his life. There'd be no better place to start than reading through one of the four Gospels that tell the life of Jesus and see what you make of him. And likewise, if you have friends or colleagues who are interested in the Christian faith, again, I'd encourage you to follow Luke's example and see your role as introducing people to the story of Jesus, telling his story afresh. Someone once said that evangelism should be less about me trying to persuade someone to become a Christian and more about me introducing another person to my friend, the Lord Jesus, telling his story um, again. Okay, so we've seen how Luke underlines the historical reliability of the events he's about to describe. These things really happened But secondly, Luke also affirms the ongoing, life-changing relevance 
of the gospel story for us today. You see, I believe the Battle of Hastings took place in 1066, but that belief has little, if any, impact on my life today. Other historical events, particularly uh, more recent ones, say that the story of British resistance against the Nazis during World War II might help to shape my sense of national identity, my values of freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. But Luke suggests in these verses that the gospel story goes far deeper than that. The gospel story is not simply a story of historical events that happened in a distant land a long time ago. The gospel story is a story that changed the world forever, gives shape and meaning to our lives today, and meets our deepest longings and needs. Because these things happened, our lives are changed. We see this most clearly in that in wanting to give confidence to his friend Theophilus, Luke doesn't write a a gospel tract or a systematic theology carefully outlining the key contours of Christian belief. He doesn't write a a series of philosophical reflections on life, the universe, and everything. He doesn't even summarize the rules of how Christians should live. Many people seem to think that the essence of what Christianity is, is is giving to charity, loving your neighbor, generally being nice to others. Christianity is often characterized as little more than a way of life, a set of practices and beliefs that might give meaning and comfort to some, but only if it works for you. Luke's perspective is very different. For Luke, Christianity is not fundamentally a set of rules and a way of life, nor is it a philosophy or a set of ideas. In giving Theophilus confidence about God, Luke's first thought is to write a work of history to tell Theophilus about historical events. In these opening verses, Luke very deliberately and very consciously introduces his book in the very same way that historians of the time would introduce their historical books. Luke is saying, I'm writing a work of history. If you were to pick up any other historian from the time, people like Tacitus or Livy, you would find that they also have introductions, much longer ones admittedly, but introductions where they introduce their topic that they have researched, the reasons why they decided to write it, and what they hope to achieve through it, just as Luke has done here. And the significance of all this is that Luke is very explicitly saying at the start of his book that the story he's about to tell is not a myth. It's not a story that is there primarily to communicate timeless truths that stand whether the story really happened or not. The story he's about to tell is a story that happened in history. The Christian faith is grounded in historical events, historical events that changed the world. If these events did not happen, then there is no Christianity left. But because these events did happen, we can have the greatest confidence. Because God came amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ, we can know with confidence that God is not some far-off, inaccessible deity, but a loving Father who longs for intimate relationship with us. Do you ever feel that God is far off, that your prayers are going unheard, let alone unanswered? You are doing little more than talking to the wall. 
will know with certainty that God is Emmanuel, God is with us. He is not shrouded in some impenetrable cloud of indifference. He revealed himself to us. He does care. We can know him. Because Jesus died on the cross, we can know with confidence that he has borne the penalty for all our sins. Do you ever feel the weight of guilt and shame? Conscious of the manifold ways in which we constantly mess up? Or know with certainty that through Jesus' death on the cross, your sins are completely forgiven. The slate has been forever wiped clean. We have been freed from all our guilt and shame. Because Jesus rose again on the third day, we can know with confidence that death has been defeated. Do you ever feel the fear of death, whether it's the fear of non-existence or the fear of life being too short? Well, know with certainty that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, death has been defeated. The grave is not the end. We have a sure and certain hope of everlasting life. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, we can know with confidence that he sits enthroned now at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you ever feel despair at the injustice in the world? Would you ever feel that life just seems so out of control? Well, know with certainty that there is a throne in heaven, and that throne is not empty, but the Lord Jesus is sat upon it. He is sovereignly in control, and he will come again to put right every wrong and wipe every tear from our eyes. Because Jesus has sent us his Holy Spirit, as Luke's second volume records, we can know with confidence that his power is at work amongst us. Do you ever feel helpless in the face of sin or in the face of declining church attendance and the secularization of our culture? Well, know with certainty that the power that raised Jesus from death to life is at work within you, aiding you in your fight against temptation and giving you courage to be witnesses in the world. So how might you be slipping or sliding in your faith at the moment? Where are you struggling with confidence in your faith? How might the historical story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who died on the cross, who uh, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, how might that story speak into that struggle? Let us so immerse ourselves in this story that everything we do, every dimension of our lives, is set within the framework of that larger story of which we are a part. For it is only this story, the story of Jesus Christ, that can meet our deepest longings and needs, truly give us peace and thankfulness about that which is past, strength and joy in the present, and hope for the future. And with that, let me pray as we close.
Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that you truly came among us, that you truly died for our salvation, that you truly rose again, defeating death, and that you truly ascended into heaven, where you sit enthroned as Lord of all. May we know the certainty of these things that we have been taught, and by them to know the sure and certain hope, peace, and joy of the gospel. Amen.